Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gitta Thwilin and with me, as always, we have a full contingent, Steve Carroll and Matt Barocco. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Um, I say evening, it's a bit earlier um, recording today. It's actually still daylight, which is a lovely treat. Um, but uh, we've got plenty to discuss on the, today's podcast, uh, including looking back at the last two games against Peterborough and Birmingham, and also looking ahead to the massive Wales International, the World Cup playoff semi-final against Austria this week. Um, quite Maybe some uh, conflicting feelings there for Dan, uh, our editor, who is, of course, a proud Welshman, but based out in Austria. Um, might have been good to get his opinions on this, actually. But um, there we go. I'm sure we'll um, we'll be able to catch up with him on Twitter at any rate. Um Without further ado, let's dive into it. We'll start off with the midweek away game at Peterborough. Um, Steve, we'll start with you. Uh, first of all, a 3-2 win for the Swans. Uh, definitely plenty of action in this one. Um, I don't know if I really expected 3-2, um, well, five goals then when we considered um, the state of the pitch before kickoff and the fact that there were um, even suggestions the game could have been called off. Did the scoreline at the end match your expectations pre-match? Probably not, uh, if I'm honest. As you say, I mean, the pitch was in a bad state, wasn't it? Um, and that didn't make me feel especially confident. But, I mean, we've got to say, we we were the better side, really, through, throughout the game. and should, should have won comfortably, but unfortunately seemed to shoot ourselves in the foot, didn't we? So, you know, probably one of the more entertaining Swans games that, that we've seen this season, though, wasn't it, when you look at it? I mean, there was... You know, we, we did create a lot more chances than normal and obviously we shot ourselves in the foot, as I say, defensively. But it was uh, certainly wasn't dull, which is probably how I would describe the game that I went to on Saturday. <laughs> we'll get to Birmingham in a bit. Um, Matt, uh, the second half, I think, was um, hair-raising, I think it's fair to say. But just concentrating on the first half and now, <clears throat> I actually thought the Swans did reasonably well first half. I thought it was a decent performance. Uh, in difficult conditions, passed the ball around um, quite well, considering the state of the pitch, kept the pressure up on um, on Peterborough throughout. Um, Peterborough were awful in that first half. It has to be said they were possibly the worst team we've played against this season in that first 45 minutes. Um, and uh, we topped it off with um, with another goal for Michael Obafemi. Yeah, we did. Um, God, I, I could probably be accused of being like, overly critical here in, in the sense of um, one thing I will completely agree with on that was that Peterborough by by far in that first 45 minutes for me the worst team we played this season they just didn't look like a championship team um, I thought they were so off the pace uh, but they weren't pressing us at any area of the pitch they weren't pressing us at the back at one point Fisher had the ball he was rolling the ball up the pitch and he was near the halfway line and still no Peterborough players were coming out to, to to try and win the ball back. It was really um, desperate from them uh, in terms of the, the quality and the effort was was so low. I think uh, their left winger, or was it their right winger? Uh, left winger, I think it was, caused us a few problems. He had a bit of pace about him. Um, but apart from that, all through the pitch, they were poor. And for me, um, which is where I probably may be accused of being a bit critical, I think we created a few chances in that half. We probably created... Um, maybe four, four decent chances, um, but that still is a, a chance every eleven 
minutes or so, roughly. And they were so poor, you'd have thought we may have been able to hit them a little bit harder, been a little bit more aggressive with it. Um, they just weren't up to it at all. Uh, if we had played like Peter Brody did in the first half, I'd fully expect to be 3-0 down at half-time. But that said, uh, we did go in uh, half-time with the lead. And you did think then, with, with Michael Oberthermi's form and uh, our tails of having had such a positive, uh, dominant first-half showing, that um, it would be uh, plain sailing, but it never is with the Swans. That's the key point. It's it's never ever plain sailing. And after that first half, he thought, okay, we've you know absolutely dominated possession. We've pinned Peterborough back. We've created you know some good chances there and finished off with a goal. Let's go on and get a really comfortable win away from home. And uh, not for the first time this season, Steve. We came out for the second half looking like we'd just swallowed an entire packet of sleeping pills. Um, and in fairness to Peterborough, they raised their game. They had a bit more energy about them. But man, did we contribute to our own downfall in that second half. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not like they were severely testing us, Peterborough, at all, really. But they've only had two shots on target and they've scored both. And I mean, you look at the second one, especially, I mean, the Norton slip. I mean, it just felt a little bit like we were being a bit over the top in the conditions. We maybe should have been not taking as many risks as we should have done, really. That was my major criticism I mean, we all want to see nice football and everything like that but I think when the pitch is as bad as it is sometimes you've got to be a little bit more careful and I think that caught us out really didn't it so you know as you say we were in a, a pretty comfortable position we got that deserved goal they were not looking any great shakes I mean we do seem to start half slow sometimes whether it be the first or the second and you know we, we did it again there didn't we and we you know we, mm. we could have paid every price for it yeah absolutely and Matt, uh, Steve, I spoke about mistakes, and there were definitely mistakes for both goals, especially the second one, which is mm. which is one of the most comical that we've we've conceded this season. And there there have been a few really embarrassing goals that we've conceded this season. Um, but I I thought well the most frustrating thing for me with that second half performance on um, uh, well against Peterborough was the kind of lethargy that we showed. I felt we looked very sloppy, that we didn't really look up for it. We looked like we were totally taken aback by the fact Peterborough just raised their energy levels a little bit um, and, and were actually pushing for, for goals in the second half as if nobody could have predicted that. Um, and and it, we just looked at the start of the second half in particular just just like we were, we, 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 we hadn't really turned up, like we were still in the dressing room in spirit. It was... Um, it was concerning, really, that they didn't seem up for the fight for for quite a long period at the start of that second half. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've never been one to be like uh, completely convinced by the idea of a, a, a team psychologist or someone like that. But this team seems to be mentally and you know psychologically not hundred percent there in terms of their attitude. Sometimes it, it shows up when when we go on and win that game three two because when we when we did come under the cost then and they'd scored two in quick succession, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is horrific. This is they've done nothing but have a decent five, ten minutes by the second half. And we're on looking at a defeat here. Um, but this team, it, we haven't had a 90 minute performance for over six months. Um, we haven't had uh, any sort of consistency all season. Um, it, it does, as Steve mentioned about us not starting halves very well. I mean, it's like they come out to the changing room and switch off, as as you just mentioned there. But when we come to the, the crunch then at the end, 
the big players step up. And 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 up until that point, like you say, lethargy, bit of laziness, not really switched on. Um, it's all we've been guilty of it all season, and and crazy, crazy, crazy defensive mistakes. Um, it's a theme, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, there are there's some big issues there. I think mentally, uh, in addressing the opposition and and being professional about the game and 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 do put in professional performances in i think we'd, we'd probably be 10 12 points better off if we had a little bit more nose about this sometimes yeah uh, i mean i think i said after the game against any other team in the league i think our set, start the second half would have seen us lose that match um but mm. we we just happened to be playing against the worst team in the division and um we we were able to get away with it steve but let's concentrate on the positives for now uh we did manage to score uh, two goals to win the game in the end. The first one, um, well, another one for Obafemi. And, you know, it's he's an interesting one, Obafemi, because in the first half of the season, and we've seen this before with other strikers, he just couldn't really get a starting spot. I think there were some people asking questions about him and whether he had a future here. Obviously, he had off-field troubles as well, which um, Russell Martin made public. Um, but in fairness to him, I mean, the second half of the season, he really has pitched in with the goals and he's been one of our best players since, uh, since the return from, uh, from the COVID break around Christmas. Yeah, I can't disagree with that, really. Obviously, he's scored about five, six goals, hasn't he, since the start of February. So, you know, it, it really bodes well, especially for next season, I would say, because we have felt quite over-reliant on Joe Perot. And I was thinking, well, we might actually have two goal scorers here and how many... Um, no sides in this division can honestly say that. Probably not a great deal. So that could be, you know, a big plus for us um, going forward. And he, he's looked lively as well, hasn't he? I mean, he's he's quite quick. He's sharp. There's there's been a lot of positives for Oberfemi over the last few weeks. And um, you know, I think everyone now 100% wants him to be in the starting lineup, which says a lot because before I think nobody did. Yeah. No. It's a it's a re- there are some really encouraging signs there from Oberfemi, and now he is showing what he can do you know first of all the the you know the increased work rate from him he was really getting involved really doing all the right things but not getting the goals and now over the last few weeks yeah the goals have been flowing for him and he got an, got a brace against peterborough um but uh, but matt the uh the biggest moment the one that decided uh the game in the end came right at the death in added time uh late late winner for the swans Joel Pirro once again getting on the score sheet. He couldn't see Obafemi scoring two and and leave the score into his uh, teammate. He had to get on the score sheet himself. Yeah, absolutely. There's no one else you'd rather that ball drop to. Whether no matter what form Obafemi's in, I think there's there's one player who is an absolute sharpshooter in this team, um, and you'd back him every time. And it is Joel Pirro. Um, he's fantastic in those areas. Um, in fact, he, he he scores so many fantastic goals from all around the penalty area that you just don't know when when he's going to pull the trigger and, and where it's going to end up in terms of the keeper going to even have a chance. Uh, that was another great shot and a fantastic uh, layoff by Hannes Wolf as well um, to tee him up. And um, yeah, he's he's one that's going to caught a lot of interest in the summer. I've got no doubt about that. I just hope we at least value him as much as he is worth because he's very young and he's got bags of potential. Um, and, and if we can hold on to him, it stands us in great stead for next season. Um, and if we can't, I really do hope we get his value. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, that's not always been the case with Swansea when selling players over the last few years, but that's a conversation we can leave until the summer. Uh, Steve, the, I, I'll be honest, I was reasonably negative after the Peterborough game. I felt the Swans got out of jail free, really, after um, really dropping their performances and, and showing some real weaknesses uh, and fragility, really, in the second half. Um, was, was that fair or... or you know, at the end of the day, it was in a way win. It's a 3-2 win. Uh, we've scored goals, which is something we haven't always done this season, um, and come from behind to to get those three points. Um, should should we have pro- should I have probably be a bit more positive about the uh, about the night as a whole? Um, I think we should definitely be positive in terms of going forward because we haven't scored three goals in many games, and we we'd have to say that we. We probably did deserve three goals off the, based off the chances we created, but I think it's the frustration then that we didn't win comfortably, which is what we should have done because you know we were easily the better team and we basically we nearly undid it by shooting ourselves in the foot. And it, it feels sometimes like we have to work quite hard to get our goals, whereas the opposition seemed to get gifted them. And you know it's it's going to hold us back, isn't it? I think that's the the frustration. Whereas in the end, we're all delighted that we have come away with that win, but we're thinking well. You know, we we almost got did get out of jail, as you say, because we made life difficult for ourselves. <clears throat> Matt, do you, do you think there is a a difference in the way the Swans play at home and play away? Because I I don't know. Well, if you look just at the you know just at the bare statistics, we concede a lot more goals away from home than than we do at home. Um, and obviously, our away record in general this season has been pretty poor it has to be said that's that's putting it lightly um is is there a difference do you think in the way we play away or is the, is the difference more to do with the way our op- mm. opponents approach our games yeah it's, it's probably a little bit more the latter um i think russell martin's mantra has been since he came here we'll work on plan a and if plan a doesn't work we'll just get better at plan a um so that's you know and and, and as admirable as that is we've seen that um, and I've seen it a few times posted uh, online in the last few weeks or so that we are um, perhaps trying to run before we've learned how to walk. And I think that in itself is a bit of a fair fair comment in terms of what we're trying to do. Um, I think it is the opposition, perhaps more so, that they know they're at home and they need to take the initiative in front of their home support. And we're so easily flustered at the back for a team that wants to be for a team that wants to have 75% plus possession every game, um, I think it was it was you, Gitto, in fact, who commented after the Peterborough game that it was one of those things where you'd expect those sorts of teams to starve the opposition when they have the lead. Just just annoy the hell out of them because we they can't get the ball off us and we've got a lead and for as much as they want to try, they can't get near our goal. But we seem to be happy to to gift opportunities away even if we've got a fragile lead and it's one thing I don't uh, necessarily like about this style currently is that we do a lot of high risk low reward football um, and that is that's a problem and that's cost us a lot of goals sometimes we're passing the ball on, uh, we'll come to we'll, we'll come to the weekend game in a minute against Birmingham um but in that in that game we we passed the ball for, I think Norton squared it to Fisher who had um uh, the Birmingham striker her name's 
escapes me now, um, within five, three or four yards of him. And then in the end, we had to scramble the ball away and we end up kicking out for a throw in. But that best case scenario in that situation, Gitto, is that we get past the striker. We would never go in to score a goal from that position. We weren't in a position to hit them on a break or anything like that. It was completely unnecessary. And in the end, we did end up scrambling the ball away. But this football of unnecessary unnecessary risks at the back, I'm all for doing it a little bit further up the pitch, even in our own half, but closer to the halfway line. I can I can agree with. But when you're playing on your own edge of your own box and there's very little you can gain from doing it, it's hard. It's hard to see how that is ever going to be the best way to approach it. Because for me, just getting yourself past the striker of an opposition isn't enough to warrant risk losing the ball 15 yards out. I, I definitely think there are question marks around kind of judgment and and decision making without passing from the back. Um I think it's something that Fisher's been suspect at. Um, he's clearly got the ability to play out from the back, but but sometimes the decisions that he makes, I'm just like, how how does that make footballing sense? You know, to do that, I don't really see how passing it to a man who is being marked by two two players at the same time is you know conducive to what we're trying to do here. You you surely should pass to the playing space. Anyway, um, that's a that's a different matter. Just um, going back to one of the things you raised there um, <clears throat> after after the match, I did tweet that I felt. Too often, Swansea don't really know quite what to do after um, taking the lead um, and don't really manage a game as well as you'd expect a team who play our football to do. Um, just to expand on that, I, I, you know, we we have the most possession in the division by far. Um, you would imagine, therefore, that if we take the lead, we are able then to dictate the tempo, to control the the passing. Um, to just basically see the game out quite quite easily and, and really frustrate the opposition. But I don't think we're good enough at it, um, considering this is meant to be one of our strengths. Um, I, and in fairness, um, somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, pointed out that statistically, you know, the Swans have not, uh, are among the best teams in the division when it comes to points dropped from, from winning positions. Uh, which is statistically true, but I still, when I think when you look actually closer at position at at um, situations and at different games, I think there are many many examples this season where we've taken the lead. Um, what well, one there aren't that many, as many examples as we would like of this one's taking the lead and being a, being in a position to manage the lead, um, mm. but also there have been games where we've taken the lead and we don't really know what to do with it. We don't know whether to stick or twist. And Peterborough was a bit like that. We didn't really know, oh, should we go for a second? Should we just hold back and protect what we've got? And there is this uncertainty there. And 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 they're not really able to back themselves in those situations, I feel. Um, and that that's, again, down to not feeling entirely comfortable, I think, in, in this style or this mindset um and it's not it's still not entirely um they're still not entirely at ease when they're in that kind of situation is what what i would say and it's something that that would that i think we do need to improve upon um when we look back to i mean somebody else on twitter this week brought up paulo Sousa comparing this um th- this team with paulo Sousa's team i, I might actually bring this up now. Um, actually, no, I'll bring it up later on after we've discussed Birmingham, because uh, I think it's much more um, relevant if we compare 
this team to Paulo Sousa's team after we've discussed a nil-nil draw. So without further ado, Steve, um, Birmingham City nil-nil at the Liberty Stadium on Saturday. Uh, I missed this game because of uh, COVID. It's finally got to me two years into this pandemic. Um, so I was watching it at home. I had the Wales-Italy rugby match on the TV and I had the Swans game on my laptop. Um, so between the two of them, Steve, I had an absolutely miserable afternoon of uh, sporting action. How was yours? I was going to say, yeah, it, uh, that, that doesn't sound uh, great, does it? Um, the Swans was a bit of a funny one. In the first half, we had a couple of chances. They had better chances. But I mean, in the second half, they, they battered us. It's, I know at the end, it was being pointed at, oh, no, positive, clean sheet. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, you can say that, but on the balance of play, you know it's basically a bit of a fluke of a clean sheet. It's because they must have had Vasquez and Schechter up front and couldn't have found off. I, I mean, I Matt, after that match, um, Sky Sports actually put a compilation together of um, of, of Birmingham's misses and, the, and the, yeah. the glaring opportunities they had. It's, it's very rare that Sky Sports do that kind of thing for uh, a, a team outside of the Premier League. So I think that tells you something really about... The, the quality of chances that Birmingham managed to create and the absolutely shocking finishing that they showed as well. Yeah, I I, I cannot subscribe to, to the idea that we kept a clean sheet on Saturday. The only thing that says we did is the fact that Birmingham ended up with nil. But, I mean, Fish, Fisher shouldn't claim that. He had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I think he had a save to make. <laughs> They've just in missed. Fairness, I think Fisher made one or two good saves in the first half. I think. Oh uh, um, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. The, I, I thought. In fairness, I've seen people pick up Fisher after that match, which I thought was totally unfair. I think there's pl- there's been plenty of times where you could have leveled criticism of Fisher this season, but um, after, after that match, I I don't think um, I don't think he had a bad game, unlike some of his teammates. Oh, no. No, I'm not blaming him. I just don't think he would have had anything to say if they'd scored four of those chances in the second half because I don't think he was particularly near any of them, not through, not through any fault of his own. I mean, Birmingham just passed it through us and got behind us at time and time again. Um, and it was a case of just waiting for that net to bulge and somehow it, it, it never did. But, uh, yeah, I did have a laugh at the full time when I saw that uh, it said that Swans registered a clean sheet. I just thought, well, I think we can take a great deal of credit for that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I saw the uh, I saw the highlights from 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 Sky on, on the Internet and um, it does say a lot, doesn't it? When they decide to make a little bit of a, a montage view of, of the uh, the misses that Birmingham racked up, it's... Um, it's really quite poor from our point of view. And it, it does leave a lot of opposition fans this season have, have, have played against us, have come away saying, I'm not really sure what Swansea's project is or what they're trying to do. And and uh, people have labelled it like negative and boring and stuff. And, and look, Swans fans have different opinions on where we're headed. And then we'll talk about that. And I think we said we'll talk about that in next podcast. Um but absolutely, in terms of some of our performances, it does leave a lot of Swans fans scratching their head as well. Even the biggest, most staunch Russell Martin fans uh, couldn't have come away on Saturday and thought, you know, this is this is the dream right here. Because um, it was, you know, Birmingham are, uh, by all accounts, uh, a, a poor team. And they made us look very, very ordinary and should be wondering how on earth they managed to leave South Wales without all three points. 
I, I, I cannot imagine what it was like, Steve, for Birmingham fans in that away end, just watching chance after chance go wide, go over, um, just somehow not end up in the back of the net. I, it must have been the most frustrating afternoon of the season. Yeah, you would have thought so. I mean, we've uh, been on the wrong end of it a few times ourselves, haven't we, when we played uh, various teams under different managers. I mean, under Graham Potter, there were a few, weren't there, where you come out of there thinking, how the hell have we uh, not won that game or whatever? And, you know, we were on the wrong end of it the other day under Steve Cooper. We'd be on the wrong end of it and then nick a 1-0 or something. So, yeah, um, a, a funny one, really. You know that, you know, I think before the game, we all probably would have been thinking a draw is not really great against this lot. We should be trying to beat them. But, you know, in the end, it was definitely a point gained because, you know, they were by far the better side. They had enough chances to win a few games and we got lucky, really, didn't we? I mean, I can't remember which one of you raised it earlier on in um, in the pod, but this idea that we have to work very, very hard to create our own chances whilst making it very, very easy for the opposition um, to get their chances. And that would, uh, Birmingham probably summed that up for me as well as any home game that we played this season. Um, because there were times in that first half where we had a lot of the ball, we were trying to kind of make things work and it wasn't really clicking in, in an attacking sense. Although we, you know, we did create one or two chances in the first half. Um, but you know, at the same time in that first half, Birmingham would just put one or two passes together and suddenly they're streaking up the pitch and our defenders are racing back, totally stretched, um, just desperately hoping that the Birmingham make a mistake for, somehow, um, which which they did time after time to, to spurn great scoring opportunities. Um, and it just, to me, Matt looked like a team which had structural deficiencies. The balance wasn't right and, and we weren't set up uh in a way that was going to um that, that was going to one create chances but two then then frustrate Birmingham. It 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 was just way too difficult for us and way too easy for the opposition because of the way we played. Yeah, we it should be mentioned that a couple of minutes before kickoff we were forced into a late change where Corey Smith had to play instead of Patterson, which is obviously a massive change to us anyway. Um, Smith simply isn't the footballer that Patterson is. He's yeah. um, he's a he's a workhorse, but he's not creative in any sense. He hasn't got a creative ball in his body. Um, and so that's going to hit us in terms of creating at one end of the pitch and perhaps enabling us to get it up there and keep it up there. But um, that taking that aside, I mean, it doesn't excuse the defensive performance at, at all, really. Um, yes, there's a lot of imbalance. It was mentioned in the post-match conference with Russell Martin, um, and he was talking about the need to, you know, the, the the fact that we had to play Smith instead of Patterson, which I thought was a bit, a little bit rich, considering he's opted to play Corey Smith in the attacking midfield role on quite a few occasions this season by choice. Um, so to say then that he was forced into it, and it shows how week we are in depth I, I i think he's um you know he might have just about got away with that one just but uh yeah you know when flynn downs we all know the miss that flynn downs is and he's probably our best player so you know you're going to miss him in the middle of the park um and when you're losing your spine or two of your main spine then patterson and downs you can see um how easy it was for birmingham to get the ball and bring the ball through our team um 
again, I go back, it's no excuse for the defending, but at the same time, we were missing a lot in the middle of the park, which would have given us a bit of structure. Um, but there's a hell of a lot to work on. There's a hell of a lot to work on. And I'm I'm hoping that the fans and the, the, the staunch defenders of the way we're playing at the moment are right, because um, there's, a, there's a lot of weight being put on this being the transition season and, and next season it all clicking. And and I really hope that happens because there are rightly, you know, some question marks about how it's um how it's been really since since November. Yeah. Uh, I mean Steve, we've taken four points from the last two games, which on the face of it, you know, is a um you know, it should be a pretty decent return, albeit against the worst team in the division and a team in Birmingham who are roughly around where we are in the table. And I don't think any of their fans would claim that they've had a great season this year. Um, but but I think there have been worrying signs, I think it's fair to say, in, in both performances and probably particularly so against Birmingham at the weekend. It just didn't click for me at the back in midfield where we, you know, the one thing that we usually always have is a bit of presence in midfield and we at least, you know, managed to control that area of the pitch, even if, um, you know, everything else around us isn't working. But but without Flynn Downs, as, as Matt said, we really lost something there. And without Patterson up front um, to set up Obafemi and Piru, we, we really looked a bit toothless at that end of the pitch as well. How much of this is down to tiredness, injuries, uh, and, and how much of it is just same old, same old? It's probably a culmination of the two. I mean, we have had a lot of games recently. I, I will say that much. And whilst we do have depth to an extent, the quality depth really isn't there, I don't think. Um, my heart sunk when I heard that Patterson was not going to be playing the other day and that Smith was in. With the greatest respect to Smith, it's just the fact that, you know, they've just got completely different attributes. And they, look, if we're honest, Patterson has got to be our most important player, isn't he? Because without him, we just don't seem to create anywhere near as much. I mean, at Peterborough, we've done a bit of one without him, for example. That spell in January where he didn't play, again, not creating a lot. As soon as he comes back in, that changes. So, look, it's. I think it is a bit concerning. I have questioned the formation on you before. Still got my doubts about it, really. Um, I think odd better does help because he does give us that natural width, a bit of pace. Some of the balls that he put into the box were decent. When there was a couple that weren't so good. Um, look, yeah, there, there's doubts, aren't there? I'm sure we'll get onto that more as the as we get towards the end of the season, really, about like how do we assess this um, Russell Martin's first season in charge? But yeah, I mean, there's I think there's definitely doubts about the progress that we're making. I don't think we've made as much progress as as I would have liked, if I'm honest. Yeah, I I think that's something that. I for, just from kind of chatting to people, seeing what people are saying on social media, as dangerous as as that can be sometimes. Uh, I think that's a general consensus. I think um, we would have liked to have seen a little bit more, but it's it's been a bit of a stunted season, hasn't it? Um, it it's there have been moments of progress, moments where we've gone backwards, and I think by now possibly we're we're reaching this kind of um, plateau. Um, and not really, not really offering much going into the final stages of the season is is my concern. I mean, we're, we're totally safe. We're not going down. We're, we're definitely not going up either. Um, and it's just a question now of 
what what we're going to be doing over the coming weeks now. Um, the, Matt, they, they've got a two-week break now before one of the biggest games of the season against Cardiff. We'll be discussing the derby in depth next week, but um, what, what do you think should be the priority for, for Russell Martin over the coming two weeks? What are the things that need to be worked on if we are to give Cardiff the best possible match? Um, do you know, I don't, I, I don't really know because we've done this conversation about eight times this season already um, about the, the areas which are of obvious concern that we can address. And right now, we've talked about um, players playing out of position. We've talked about this um, needless risk-taking on, on your own box and yet playing safe balls when you're in the opposition's box. It, it, it's just it's backwards. Um, we've talked about all a whole area of watching the Swans and we've thought, well, this can change, and it doesn't. It's very set in his ways, I think, is a kind way of putting it, Russell Martin. And I think he's determined to make this work. So um, I, I don't think a whole lot is going to change. Um, what I will say is the, the players who have just been ruled out injured from Birmingham, like your Downs and your Pattersons, wrap them up in cotton wool and make sure they're fit and firing. Uh, make sure everyone gets a good rest and um, and and is uh, is available to, to play. I think really speaking and I'm sure Steve will agree with this this is the last real event of the season now it's um it's a bit of a dead rubber and, um uh, of a season and we've just got to look at creating history now by being the first team to do the double um which is despite the performances recently I, I still think it's very much there um and in you know holding an op- optimistic uh, thing that we normally come back decent after an extended break. So um, what an opportunity this might be, although I'm not counting my chickens. Man, I hope you're right. Um, Steve, last word on the derby before we uh, discuss it properly next week. But how are you feeling looking ahead to that match in two weeks? It is such a massive occasion. It is a chance to do the double for the first time ever. Um, but would you say at the moment, you know, where, where are we? Who's, well, one Kind of, how do you rate the Swans' chances at this point? Looking at that game, and are you kind of looking forward to it, or are you a bit unsure about uh, about this game, considering the way both teams have been playing recently? Um, well, obviously, we have got a chance, and I do think if we click on the day, we'd have a really good chance of winning. But our away record really isn't, you know. I know there have been five wins, but so we, we haven't put in many great performances away from home. I don't think the remarkable stat that we've not won away on a Saturday all season obviously is is still there. Um, and if I we don't, don't, and if we don't, if we don't beat Cardiff, by the way, it will have been a, an entire calendar year without uh, an away win on a Saturday, which is mad. Yeah, because there's only one game on a Saturday left away after that. I think it's Forest, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, I think they're the favourites if we're being realistic about it. They've been on a reasonable run, haven't they? Um, I'm not saying they're a great side or anything, but uh, they're at home as well. You know, you, you'd have to say they're the favourites, but I'm more than happy for that agenda to get pushed in the media. I think uh, that won't do us any harm if they if they want to pile the pressure on. So um, hopefully a certain Mr. Raven Donato um, decides to do it. Come on, Paul. You know you want to. You know you want to write that editorial. Come on, give build build it up. Build it up. Build it up. Make us the underdogs. Give, give us that. Give us that tag. You know you want to. 
Um, we'll uh, we'll have to wait to see what uh, what what the build-up has to offer, but we will discuss this match and give it the full billing it deserves next week. So make sure that you come back uh, for that. We're just going to finish off. Um, by diverting our tensions away from the Swans and to the international sphere for uh, a little while because Wales, to put it simply, have an absolutely enormous game on Thursday. Um, Steve, you're going to be there. I know you are. It's 19, We all know 1958, the last time Wales qualified for the World Cup. We've had plenty of heartache over the years. You know, this is the stuff of legends, the Joe Jordan handball, Paul, Paul Bowden's penalty miss. You can even look back to 2018 and uh, Joe Allen's concussion, you know, the key moments that have prevented us from ending that drought. My question is, what's going to prevent the, the Wales from, from making it to Qatar this time around? Uh, you, you just don't know, really, do you? I mean, um, like it's, it's going to be tough. I think we've got to be realistic. We will not say that we have been done a turn in the draw to get two home draws, potentially Austria and then Scotland or Ukraine. We've got to be pretty happy with that. I mean, we could have had a far harder draw. It seems like most players are fit. Kiefer Moore isn't, obviously. That's a big loss. Um, obviously, Danny Ward isn't either. I think Hennessy's a decent replacement there, though. We might not get a better chance than this. I think that's how we've got to realistically look at this. It's It's all there for us got to go and do it that's the problem it's easier said than done but I think you'd want to be us probably out of the four teams I would say um you know because like I said we have got the guarantee of the potential two home games and you know if everybody's fit it, it's, it's it is doable but this is Wales we're talking about here so you can never be too confident but you know I think it's it's going to be a massive occasion in there on Thursday I'm sure the atmosphere will be amazing as a as it often is in these big Wales games. Um, yeah, and, and if I'm honest, I almost think now the way that it's worked with the fact that the second leg isn't going to take place straight away might not be a bad thing for Wales either because I'd have to say I'd have my doubts about Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, whether they could last 90 minutes twice. But I think now you can almost turn around to them and say, look, we need you for this one. Give us everything. Forget about the friendly. You're not going to play if we end up in it. And... Um, yeah, I think that pro- probably does play to our advantage slightly in that sense. So, you know, I think it's there for us, but obviously we've got to go and do it. The talking's easy, isn't it? Matt, um, Steve mentioned Bale and um, and Ramsey there. They are still the biggest names in, in the squad, uh, but they don't play much for the clubs these days. Um, they've played just a handful of games due to, you know, one in Gareth Bale's case, probably not good enough to to get into Real Madrid starting eleven anymore. And in Aaron Ramsey's case, just his horrific injury record. I mean, it's they're coming back pretty cold for what is an absolutely massive game. And Gareth Bale, from what we understand, has a a slight injury worry. Shouldn't be enough to keep him out, but it's just another thing to to add to the list. Um, how confident are you that they will? be able to flick that switch and just bring their A game when it comes to Austria on Thursday? Um, well, they, they, they're both big big game players, aren't they? And like you say, they're the, they're the main men. Um, they're probably one of the last tournaments in which we'll be able to say that, really. Um, 
particularly in Bale's case, possibly with injuries, concerns in Ramsey's as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely, in terms of what they can bring um, is, is a moment. Um, I think Bale's had his best days. I don't think anyone's really going to going to argue with that but he's still a leader and he's an inspiration you know when when you talk about um you know having pride and uh, for your country this is a this is a player who's you know arguably the the greatest british uh export of all time and he's um he he's never shirked the Welsh, his welsh responsibility even to the ire of his uh his his clubs his, his real madrid's and stuff like that and um i know he he's shown that he can still do it. I mean, when he was on loan at Tottenham, he he had good return goals and assists. So obviously there's there's background issues and I think he's fallen out with the media and the management and whatnot. And so it's restricted his game time the last few years. But he feels differently about Wales. It's it's, it's always been the case, isn't it? The infamous flag incident with him, um Wales Golf Madrid. Uh so I think for him, I think whatever he's got to give, yes. You're right. He's going to be cold. He's probably going to be wrapped up in cotton wool, trying to make sure he's he's able to give as much of the game as he can. Um, but be sure he's going to leave everything on the pitch. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely hope that um, that they're able to to feature and, and and give us the edge because, as Steve said, really it's it's the draw. We couldn't have really hoped for a better draw. So it is it is in our hands, and uh, we shouldn't hopefully be able to look elsewhere. Um, for uh, a little bit of help for this, this is this is up to us and uh, and us only, really. Steve, just looking at Austria, they've um, they they had a, a pretty difficult qualifying period, really. They they didn't turn up for their group, um, lost four nil to Denmark, which um, uh, well, they're not the only country to lose four nil to Denmark in recent times. Um, but that, that was their heaviest home defeat um, for more than a decade. They lost twice to Scotland um, and and they lost five two away to Israel. Um, so it hasn't been a good qualifying period. But in the last Euros, I think we saw that when Austria do get it right, they can be a good team because they were. I didn't think they were particularly good in the group stages out in Euro 2020, but then they turned up for the knockout stages. And and gave Italy a, a monumental scare in their match. Really did give them as tough a game as possibly any other team in the competition. Um, and when you look at their squad, you know half of their team plays for clubs. Uh, half the squad plays for clubs chasing Champions League football in their respective uh, leagues. They've got big names like Anoutovic, who you know blows hot and cold, but we know at his best, he's he's a fantastic player. Um, Marcel Sabitzer, who is a great creative influence and can chip in with goals, certainly. And, of course, David Alaba, who, despite what the um, what the, his El Clasico performance on Sunday may, may suggest, has been one of the best centre-backs in the world um, this season. So, I mean, they've got the quality and they've got plenty of experience to be able to turn this on um, if they want to, haven't they? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we can't get carried away with um, and thinking this is a job done. It definitely isn't. Obviously, we have played Austria in the recent past. We drew 2-2, didn't we, with them in the World Cup 2018 qualifying away from home. And then we needed that bit of a wonder goal from Ben Woodburn to, to win the home game. So they were both tough games that really could have gone the other way. So we know this will be a challenging game. But like I said, at the same time, we are at home. Everybody is fit. We'd like to think we've got a good chance of, of coming through, really, wouldn't we? So, 
you know, on our record at the Cardiff City Stadium, it's pretty formidable, really, isn't it? There haven't been any defeats in the last, I think, since 2013. There's there's two home defeats compared yeah. to one to Denmark and one to Ireland. So, you know, you, you'd have to back us, wouldn't you, in, in this situation, I think, if if everything is, is in our favour. So that's how I'm, I'm really looking at it, where, you know, it's, it's a difficult game, but it's there for us if we do our job. Yeah, uh, Wales, of course, had their ups and downs in qualifying. They scraped through a few uh, matches without playing particularly well. Um, but Rob Page has this record. He's only lost four games as uh, um, in, while he's been in charge of Wales. Uh, and they've been to, uh, I think it was France, England, uh, Italy and Denmark. So all teams in the top 10 of the FIFA rankings. So um, he doesn't tend to lose to teams who are roughly around Wales in the rankings or, or lower, um, even when Wales don't always um, turn up and, and show their best form. Matt, you know, every single supporter thinks that their support is the, you know, is the, is the best in the world, etc. But there is something special about the Welsh support and the noise that they can make. Um, and, you know, the, the whole atmosphere that's around Wales games these days um, is, you know, just unique, pretty much. Um, and the, the FAW going all out, getting kind of, you know, asking people to turn up early to cheer the cheer the team onto the pitch. They're getting Davide one onto the pitch earlier on to, to sing and, and get the get the crowd pumped up. The anthem, as always, is going to be uh, unaccompanied. So we're just going to hear pure Welsh voices. And you just know that the fans are going to make a noise during the game. It's a packed sellout crowd. Um, does that make a difference, do you think? Or is that just us fans kind of pretending that we, we've got some kind of role to play in our team's success? Well, <laughs> well the players say it does. Um, which, you know, whenever you hear... I know it's cliche bingo in some footballers, but they always say about the fans. They, they made the big difference and stuff like that. So... I don't know. I mean, I if you've played football for 10, 15 years, then you, you're probably going to have a little bit of more... You're going to have your professional head on, switch out the noise and concentrate on the job, especially if you're playing at the sort of levels which some of the players on the pitch will be playing at. But certainly, if you allow yourself to, to take in the atmosphere and harness that in a good way, then I'm sure it can give you an extra 5%. I'm sure it can let the you know, the hairs on the end of your arm tingle and stuff like that and make you feel like, actually, my heart's beating a little bit harder here now. I'm going to, you know, stretch for that and race for this. And, uh, yeah, it's going to have an impact. I think a lot of credit has to go to ignoring the the random shouts from the usual suspects about moving it to Millennium Stadium um, and the likes because, you know, we could sell this out. We could sell it to Millennium. Yeah, we could also have... Uh, you know, whole sections with vuvuzelas and stuff and that, and it, it just kills it. And I think the idea of keeping it where it is 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 great because it has been addressed by the players, um, particularly under Coleman's reign, as, as as feeling like home and feeling like they create an intimidating atmosphere, and that you can really bring anyone into that stadium. And because of the the wall of noise, you can intimidate anyone. And I think uh, taking it to a, a big grand Millennium Stadium, you lose that intimacy. Um, so I think with it being in the Cardiff City Stadium, a smaller stadium, one that the the crowd can get behind closer to the pitch, I do think it will make a difference. And um, like I say, 
the players say it does. So uh, if they, <laughs> as long as they are being honest, then I'm sure that the fans will um will have a lot of uh, uh being good voice anyway to make sure that they can do whatever they can. Yeah, Steve, Rob Page has one or two selection dilemmas. Um, you know, uh, the fact that Danny Ward's injured means Hennessy will probably start in goal. It's big question marks about who will uh, take Kiefer Moore's um, place up front. Um, not really a wealth of strikers uh, in the in the Welsh squad. I mean, what what are the kind of key decisions that you see that have to be made, and and who would you like to see starting that game against Austria? Um. I suppose the, the interesting thing now is obviously no key for more, so that's that's how it could be now. The, the big decision now that we approach it, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Bale and James up front, probably, and like a 3-5-2. Um, obviously, just thinking of, of back. I think Nico Williams did brilliantly, didn't he, in um, like the, the couple of qualifiers that we last played, so he'd have to start a left wing back. That's his position now, really. I think Ben Davis would play in the centre with Roden and Ampadu. Um, and then we'd have Connor Roberts with me right wing back, as you say, Hennessy would be in goal, uh, Ramsey and Allen in midfield. Um, then it'd be the interesting thing what you do because part of me's thinking, should Brennan Johnson be playing because he's yes. really well, isn't he? So I think that's that's sort of an interesting one because would you play him maybe instead of Harry Wilson now, for example? I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think you'd argue maybe in some ways Bale possibly shouldn't play because he hasn't, you know, been. He's had hardly any minutes, but it's Bale. I mean, he's going to play, and he has to play. So, yeah. plus, plus, Bale is the only one I would say that's had kind of any kind of success playing as anything approaching a striker. I think, I think that you, I, I personally, I don't like seeing Dan James play as an out and out striker. I think he he needs freedom to roam out wide and, and use it where he can use his yeah, pace. I, I agree with that, but I think playing him in a two up front yeah. is as bad as on his own at least. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But but Bale, I think you can just leave him up front and he'll just pose a goal threat. You know, he's he's good in the air. He he'll he'll be able to get on the end of crosses. Um, yeah, it might be better to play him there in some ways and just say to him, look, just stand up front. Don't do a stupid <laughs> amount of running. Just yeah. stay there and be a pain, be a presence. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I'm, Joe, I, I'm with you. I, I pick Brennan Johnson over Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson's having a great season. But I just think Brennan Johnson looks like a Premier League player in, in every single way. And in terms of playing style, I think he's closer to a striker than what. Wilson is. I think Wilson's a better creator than um, that than Johnson is, but I don't know. I think with with Roberts and and um, Williams offering the width and the speed out wide, they're going to be whipping crosses in. I I just wonder, do we want a player that's going to be in the box, getting out on the end of those crosses? And Johnson's proven himself at Nottingham Forest this season that he had he can pick up a good position in the box and just pick you know offer himself a. For the pullback off himself for the cross um, to get the the tappings as well as the uh, as well as the flashier goals. So I, I'm leaning more towards Brennan Johnson in the form that he's in at the moment. And I just wonder if we don't pick him, are we going to look back in years to come and and wonder why didn't we pick him when you know he, I think he's on the way to stardom. I think he's going to be a Premier League player very soon, and I think he'll be a Premier League player for pretty much the rest of his career the way he's playing at the moment. Well, like I said, Brennan Johnson, I mean, it's he has done exceptionally well, hasn't he? Um, so I'm I'm with you on it. I, I think 
maybe the surprise package as well because you know he hasn't. I don't think he's played competitively any minutes hardly at all, is he? So I think playing him would, would could arguably be a little bit of a shock for the opposition. And as you say, I mean, I was amazed that Forrest turned down 18 million in January. If I'm honest, I mean, if you look at the the way the market is now, I mean, to turn that down, I mean, it takes some doing really, doesn't it? So. You know, but for some of the bid that much for him, it shows how highly he's rated, doesn't it? So, yeah, I think if Forrest don't grow up, it's likely that he'll be playing in the Prem next year. But I think, yeah, I, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking maybe he should start, as you say. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't start, then he's an immense impact sub to come on as well. Matt, where, where do you stand on this debate? Will Harry Wilson or Brennan Johnson, who would you give the start to? Um, I'd like to see Brennan Johnson for the reasons you both explained. Um, I just don't know if Page is going to be brave with that in such a big game. It's a big call to make. Um, yes, he's 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 young. He's got the world at his feet, um, and sometimes that exuberance um, can be the difference. Just to have that. I mean, we saw. Uh, look, uh, I, I, I saw Dan James then when he in the second half of the season when he was with the Swans. I mean, it was that sort of youthful exuberance where he would just chase everything like a like a dog in a field. And I think Brennan Johnson is is absolutely um, is is top tier waiting as as you both mentioned. So um, I'm not convinced that Page will take that risk. And not that I think it's a risk, but it's a it's a bold move to 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 bring him in for this a game of this caliber. I suspect he'll find himself with a place on the bench, although I wouldn't be disappointed if I'm wrong with that one. I tend to agree with you there, Matt. I think Rob Page will probably go for Wilson, but uh, I don't part of me really wonders should should he go for it and just take the plunge and go for the man in in blistering hot form not that harry wilson isn't in form at the moment we've seen what he can do for fulham let's finish off the pod with a prediction then um steve get, uh, we'll, we'll all take in turns giving them the kiss of death um what what do you think the score will be um on thursday night it's, it's hard to say isn't it but i am gonna back us i'm gonna say one nil matt what about you I don't want to give one. Can I not give one? Because I'm, I'm really. Do you know when you think about it, you just get this sinking feeling, and I, I get this sinking feeling, and I hate it because. But it, don't let that be an omen, by the way, because I, as you know, get I'm terrible at predictions, and what I think is going to happen is normally the opposite. But I hate to say what I think because of the when the draw was made, the feeling of what I said earlier on was that was. That's a great draw for Wales. And I really, really, really hope that Austria don't take advantage of the supposed underdog tag that they'll be uh, presented with as the, they turn up to Cardiff. So um, I'm going to politely request if I can abstain. Oh, he's taking a gutless route, the yellow <laughs> bellies. Oh. Sorry. Honestly. That's not why people tune into this podcast, Matt. We want to. You know see- what? People, people will rightly ignore any of my predictions anyway, so it's probably not might make any difference. Fair enough. My 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 predictions are never any better than Matt's. Um, so take mine with a pinch of salt. But I I'm not sure Austria will really be underdogs. I think when you look at the quality they've got in their squad, um, it's full of top top tier players. Um, whereas ours is, you know, heavily weighted with with championship ones, uh, albeit some exceptionally good championship ones uh, in many of our cases. 
But uh, I'm just hoping, this is a heart overhead, obviously, but I'm hoping that the, the atmosphere, the occasion, will just see Wales through. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's going to be a 2-1 win for Wales. And I'm going to go for that because my heart isn't allowing my head to consider a defeat in this one. It would just be too painful because, as Matt and Steve pointed out, the draw gives us a really a, a realistic chance of getting to Qatar, um, which is something which is something which wasn't guaranteed before the draw was made by any means. But this is a very real chance of making it to our first World Cup since 1958. Let's just hope that we don't get any more Joe Jordans, any more Paul Bowdens, any more Joe Allen concussion-esque incidents, which we have to look back at in years to come and wonder what if. That's... That's what we want to avoid. But hopefully we can get the job done and set up a massive match in June. That's what we're all hoping and praying for. We'll have to wait and see. And we're hoping that um, all of uh, Dan's friends out in Austria are left crying into their Wiener schnitzel at the end of Thursday night. Um, well, that's it for this podcast. Hopefully we've pumped you up for the uh, for the Wales game after getting you all down with the Swans talk. But uh, join us again next week when we will be looking forward to another Massive match, the South Wales Derby and Swansea's chance to complete a historic double. But until then, thank you very much for listening.